Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Woff. Ooh, movie number four. I almost said movie number three. Movie number three or movie? Boobie. Movie. Movie. Well, I mean, no, not in that either. There's no boobies. What is a boobie? No, boovie. I don't even know what boovie oh, is. I like, like Bouvier? Bouvier. Like Jacques Bouvier. Who, who's Jacques Bouvier again? Jacques Bouvier. I don't know, but it's September. <laughs> it's September. Yeah, if you guys listened to movie episode last week, it was, what, what the hell was it? It was, it was. Oh, it was. <laughs> La, Yo, it's La Llorona. Yeah, <laughs> the two L's do make a Y sound. <laughs> I'm doing that shit again. As I, my <laughs> inbox was full of people correcting me. <laughs> by the way. What? Really? Yeah. Anyway, you already know what it is. This is only our second Stephen King adaptation that we're covering. seems weird, right? Like yeah. it seems like we would have done 50 Stephen King movies by now. I mean, we recorded three, but this is only our second movie. Did we ever air Dreamcatcher? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's funny, by the way, you mentioned Dreamcatcher and that's when that's why I, I was just doing my little research on this and that's where Stephen King kind of shared his two cents about all of his work up to that point. As far as all the adaptations, I had no idea he has such disdain for this movie. I only remember it because, uh, I was really into Stephen King like novels at that point. Like, cause I was, you know, I, I was a kid and I loved to read and I fucking got hooked on the Salem. I got hooked on Salem's lot and then I wanted to read them all. You know, I read the dead right. zone and I read this and I read, uh, God, what was the other, the third movie that came out right around the same time? Oh, I read this Night Shift with the Children of the Corn short story. You know, I was reading any of it. And I, so I remember, I think I read it. I want to say, was there really like a Fangoria? It was in some way, it was in print and how much he hated it because it was different, so different than the book. Oh, Cujo was the other movie too, because Cujo had come out right around the same time. Right, because up to this point, this was only the seventh movie, seventh novel that he had adaptation right. for. In order, it was Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Creep Show, Cujo came out before Dead Zone, and then Christine. Three movies, three uh, adaptations, all in the same year, nineteen eighty-three, which is where we're at right now. You've already, like I said, we haven't said it yet, but this is John Carpenter's Christine. I bet you that's what really pissed him off. <laughs> that's what I think, right? too. Like that it wasn't called Stephen King's Christine. It was John Carpenter's Christine. Yeah, I think that's kind of how everybody took it because yeah. to the first, I'm, I, I can't be 100% sure because there, there could be a one sheet out there that exists that says something differently. But I think they all say Stephen King's blah, blah, blah. Before Christine, it, it, that's other than maybe Creepshow. Oh, yeah, because it certainly doesn't say David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. <laughs> the Shining also didn't say it. Or Louis Teague's Cujo. <laughs> yeah, I think, was that the first one? Well, Carpenter was, I mean, Carpenter was bigger than Stephen King at that point. Like, I would say, like, you know, the Carpenter's name was. Yeah. So put it put people in the theaters. Stephen King was kind of still box office poison, right? Because, I mean, really, none of those movies... Mm. Good. I mean, as good as they are, they weren't, you know, people weren't, you know, they just weren't turning out in droves. None of them were big box office hits. The Stephen King above title didn't start until the dead zone as right. far as their initial one sheets because Creepshow, Cujo. I mean, they mention him, but they don't, but he's not a standby. Right, because Creepshow, it gives, it gives, it, it's kind of says the two great minds of horror, Stephen King right. and George Romero. Right. Right. And I think even, not even, The Shining doesn't even say Stanley Kubrick. No, it, it just, it says, just says The Shining, right? On yeah, the yeah, it doesn't one say. Sheet. Yeah. 
No, I'm going to go with that. Let's just go with that. That's probably what the crux of it was all about. Right. Well, then that that's what's funny is the dead zone says Stephen King, Christine doesn't. And then the next year when Children of the Corn comes back, it comes out that it's back to Stephen King's. Right. Because who's who's the draw in that movie? You know, uh, it's pre Terminator Linda Hamilton. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't, Terminator hasn't, will be out later that year, but it right. won't blow up, hasn't blown up and turned into the phenomenon. You know, what's crazy is when I saw, because I saw Children of the Corn, I saw it in the theater, because again, it was King and I knew the story. Dude, I never made the connection that Hamilton was actually in Terminator until they both were on VHS right. at some point later. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's Linda, she would. I just didn't, you know, it never like, it never reverberated with me because I think for me at that time, you know what Children of the Corn was about? It was about Malachi and and Isaac. I didn't care who those people were. Peter Horton and Linda Hamill, who I didn't know. Yeah. That movie plays the way it does. I remember seeing that. So you were in eighth grade uh, or the summer, right? It was a summertime. Mm -hmm. I I just finished ninth grade. I remember going with a whole bunch of friends to that because like we talked about 84 was a big year for movies and stuff. And then that was definitely one of them. But we really vibed on Children of the Corn was because of Christine and Dead Zone. Not so much Cujo, but definitely those first two because, boy. Yeah. The thing about Christine is everybody can relate to being, you know, even the popular kids weren't always, somebody was always kind of on the outs. Whether, you, whether the click wasn't, you know, responding to you that week or whatever the hell. Everybody knows what it's like to be Arnie to some degree. Yes. The way the whole movie is set up, compared to the book, you're going to be at the lean to kind of lean onto him about the novel because I did read it, but it's been, uh, let's put it this way. I was still in my teens when I read, when I read the book, so I couldn't even, re- I have to lean on somebody else that's a little more well-versed with it than to make the comparison, but... One of the things that always strikes people when they see Christine, like, what do you remember most about it? What's the what's the standout thing for you? For me, it's obviously the, the Christine regenerating after Buddy Repperton and his cohorts like beat the shit out of it and right. make it look worse than it did when Arnie picked it up from the old man. To do our research and come across the breakdown on how they did it, for even pushing that aside. Oh my God, does it hold up so well? It's crazy that it's a movie's what, Dude. 40 years old and it's yeah, still it's 40 like, years old this year. So killer. It's so good. The 4K transfer looks amazing. And when you see that beautiful, bright red car come back to life while it's in the garage in that quality and remastered, I mean, even the 1080p version of this remaster looks incredible. Now, this is, by the way, this is not the Shout Factory version. This is the. This is the Columbia version of it. Uh, they did a re-release on 4K last year. Maybe it was. I think it was was it wasn't it earlier this year? It could have been. What was it last year? I, 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 I yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> I it was sometime earlier this year. Maybe <laughs> that doesn't matter. Well, I remember it not locking in with an anniversary. I remember just kind of being loose. Maybe maybe it was just a few years ago. Um, it could have been you know right around. It might have been November of last year. I mean, well, I we could Google it, but. You know what? Digress. I bet you it was the 35th because 2018 sounds about right. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. So 25th anniversary, (laughs) not 35th. (laughs) 35th? I guess it would be 35th, right? It's 2008. Uh, I can't. I'm bad at math. That's why I'm in the art department. Yeah. The movie has so many really fun things. And obviously the regeneration is a big part of it. Dude, we know it's crazy. 
you talk about the regeneration and when you, right when you had texted me that I was watching it and you know what is kind of crazy dude is like, I never put it together before. And I've seen this movie a bazillion fucking times is the regeneration, but it's also the regeneration of Arnie. They, they, right. they kind of coincide and you see it and it, it's, it's done very well in the movie. Yeah. Like, cause God, he is such a hapless nerd at the beginning. <laughs> you, you think that it's just they're overdoing it. Maybe Carpenter a little bit too much when he comes out and in the bottom, the glasses and like, when he sticks in with the, when he, when buddy sticks the fucking knife into his lunch bag or even before that, when the life is kicking the shit out of Arnie, because it's not just buddy and his asshole friends. Yes. It's his parents. Well, his life in general, he's when he's carrying that trash can bag out in the beginning and the bottom just falls out for no yeah. other reason, just for it to fall out. Right. That tells you all you need to know about Arnie and his life. He doesn't doesn't even need shitty people in his life to <laughs> be living a shitty life. That's a great setup, and eventually it sounds like it seems like a little bit too much, but it goes so well with the physical, with costume, and with hair and makeup because you there's a difference in his makeup later on. Not when he's fully like engulfed in it, where he has the bags under his eyes. Even before that, you there's a transformation with his hair and all of it. Yeah, his out his clothes his just his demeanor. I mean, Keith Gordon did a really great job of, yeah. uh, you know, selling that, you know, the physicality of, you know, Arnie to Roland LeBay, Arnie, you know, or uh, I guess George LeBay, if we're sticking with the movie, <laughs> but uh, you'll hear me, you know, I'm going to refer to Roland LeBay <laughs> several times because, uh, in the book and that's, we, let's get, let's why do we pick this movie? Cause somebody's going to say, Oh, that's not a ghost movie, but it is a ghost movie. I'm I'm going with the book. In a lot of ways, even if the book version doesn't work for you in that regard, it's still it's still something is inside the vehicle. Right. When Arnie buys Christine in the movie, he's buying it from Roland Bay or, or George LeBay, I guess is the character's name. In the book, George LeBay. Well, they just list Robert Blossom as LeBay, but in the book, Arnie gets it from his brother. And George tells the story about when he tells the story later, he tells the story how the, his brother was a kind of an asshole and kind of his spirit stayed with the car. And that's, and that's what, because there's a, there's a moment and they kind of do it in the movie, but in the book, it goes into way more detail when uh, Dennis is with Arnie in the car and he looks over at Arnie, he literally sees his face is morphs into LeBay's face. Right. The goat, like the spirit. I mean, they kind of go into it, but it's more of like just Arnie looks deranged, right? Like in the movie. But in the book, they go into, King goes into great detail about he basically does a full on transformation and he's looking at the ghost of Roland the Bay. And it still works in, in, in a ghost story, even in Carpenter's version of it, because even when, you know, when Dennis looks over at him and he goes, Where's Arnie? Like, like he, he, there's a dialogue that actually verbalizes the, he knows he's, he knows that's not Arnie sitting next to him. Yes. And that's when he, when that moment, that's when Dennis really starts shitting his pants about what's going to happen. Cause in fact, cause like he's like, he's just like, if that guy next to me is dead already. (laughs) Right. Who cares if we crash into something? And we, I already know that car can be regenerate. I already know it can do that. And obviously, so can whoever is in my friend right now. Yes. <laughs> but I cannot regenerate. You can sit there and say it's possessed, and I, that word possessed gets used, but it, that's why Carpenter's version still works in the ghost regards too, because when Christine is on the line and being built, 
it's already fucking killing people. <laughs> so it's like, it's not right. It, it's not, it's already, it already has a life. It's an entity, if you will. <laughs> yes, it, it definitely is an entity. What, what's crazy is, is there's an article that I read and I'll, I'll look it up so that you can, you know, you can clip it into the show if you want. But there, there's a whole theory about James Dean's car, right? About the car being haunted or cursed from its inception. And I think that is kind of, I don't know that maybe if King read it, I, I would have to go into deeper thing, but reading that article, that's how the Carpenter version works to me. Like we don't know where the metal from this car came. Like in, in the, the theory behind the James Dean thing is that James Dean's car was made in the Porsche factory, you know, after world war two. So there's all this bad juju on it from, you know, the place being blown up and scrap. And there's also like, they think that the metal, you know, there's another theory that the metal of the car for little bastard was actually the, I think it was the, is Ferdinand, the archduke of Austria who was assassinated in the car, blah, 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 blah. Right. So that is how the car could be haunted. And I totally am, you know, we, we don't need to over, think it but uh but the the book is a lot more clear that it's more of a ghost that is you know behind christine and not just it's funny too because i want to say that's probably the first time i ever heard thoroughgood's bad to the bone <laughs> and every time i hear it the only thing i ever think of is christine to this day right and you, and i have to say there's no way that james cameron didn't watch this movie <laughs> And think about how he would utilize that song oh. in the beginning of Terminator 2. It just, to me, it, it's... No way. Yeah. There's, there's, he wouldn't have used it that way. The song... No, yeah. he was imprinted by it too. Come on. It's silly not to think he wasn't. <laughs> so, yes. The cast in this, we already mentioned two people. We already mentioned, well, two people, but along with Keith Gordon, who, again, we five years before this, we've already like we've already talked about how much we love Keith Gordon in a lot of things. And but mm -hmm. you know, we cover we covered we cover Jaws too. Back to school. But Stockwell too too. First episode, wasn't it? My science project. My science project, yeah. Yeah. Basically playing Dennis. <laughs> yeah. He's still driving a muscle car. Yeah. You know, just you know, he's just Dennis. <laughs> which which John Stockwell has more game? Ooh, John Stockwell from Science Project? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say he's the same character. So yeah. I'm just going to say it's kind of the same. Yeah. Because, okay, so th there's those two. Then uh, Alexandra Paul, who plays yes. Lee, she was a new pickup. She was, no one really knew who she was. Yes, Carpenter Snagger from New York, I think, from an audition in New York. Right. But we'd all become very familiar with her, if not as, you know, the virgin Connie Swale from Dragnet. Yes. We all would know her later on as Stephanie Holden from Baywatch. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Dude, Robert Prosky as fucking Darnell. He's my favorite character in the whole fucking script. I mean, the whole movie, dude. Yeah. Like, Whenever Prosky is on, Prosky is one of those character actors who I love. He's in The Natural. He's in a bunch of movies from this time period. And I think he ended up, was he on Hill Street Blues too, I think? Yeah. But dude, he is so good. Like those scenes in the garage <laughs> when he's, you know, I can let you do it, kid. You know, he's just such a scumbag, yeah. but he's like one of those scumbags. You kind of love him, you know, chomping on that cigar and yeah. just he, he lends a lot of weight to the, you know, it's funny because the, uh, the, the character dude, Harry Dean Stanton shows up as the detective Junkins. He's so great. I mean, th these, they, they kind of give weight and, and give this movie what a lot of horror movies 
from that time period don't have when you watch things. It's a bunch of teenagers and, you know, there, there's not really anything grounding the movies or, you know, there's not like a lot of, there's not any real acting going on. And these guys kind of lend to that, in my opinion. The way Harry Dean plays the detective is so much like Bud from Repo Man. Yeah, absolutely. Just that controlled aloofness. Yeah, like he, he acts a little aloof, but you know, um, you know, you know exactly what you're doing and what you're asking and why you're asking those questions. Yeah, yes. He's, he's fucking great. They're all yeah. pointed, all those questions. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to jump all the way down to this because you you texted me while you were watching the movie. <laughs> and you already know where I'm going with this. Cause it's yeah, like, totally. Tell me what you texted me. Which, which one was it? Was it about, was it Kelly Preston? Yes. The one about her. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, what, in what world can Kelly Preston not get laid? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> is there a high school? I mean, look, man, I, I just don't know what it is. Shenanigans um, is what it is. Shenanigans. <laughs> but she's great in it too. I mean, I, dude, she's good. And, and the other thing I had texted you was that William Ostrander, who plays Buddy, looks like he's 40 years old, man. He, he looks like a fucking, what did you call him? What did you say he looks like? Go ahead, what did you tell me he looked like? The guitar player from Alice Cooper. <laughs> he's like super muscular and I'm like going, dude, he looks like a wrestler. He looks like the ultimate, yes, the ultimate warrior. Like the wrestling coach, him. not like he looks like the wrestling coach. <laughs> <laughs> he's the ultimate warrior, damn it. Right. Like he looks like he would have, dude, like nobody, I could understand why no one fucked with the guy. Cause he was like 35 years old and still in high school. I mean, maybe he wasn't a rocket scientist, but like he whoop your ass Oh, and he probably, and he'd whoop the ass off the teacher too. You know, David Spielberg, Mr. Casey. Yeah. Mr. Casey was afraid of him, dude. Mr. Casey like fucking threw his ass against the wall, man. He did. Okay. Which one of Buddy's sidekicks is the heavy dude? Moochie? Malcolm yeah. Dinar? Dude, Malcolm Dinar is in one of my favorite 80s uh, movies, which I'm sure you've seen it. And I'm going to say it right now, but he's in Heaven Help Us with uh, Andrew McCarthy and Mary Stewart Masterson. Yeah. Oh, you know, he's actually in something that we've covered before. And I can't believe I, I fucking missed that. God damn it. Well, he's in Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> yes, I know. I saw him on set and I knew exactly who he was. I, dude, he plays Caesar in Heaven Help Us and he's such a fucking his character his character is like literally ridiculous in, in heaven help us because he's such a stereotype but i love that movie and when i see him now when i saw christine i didn't know anything about heaven help us but two years later that guy will forever be caesar from heaven help us to me no matter what i see him in he did a lot of movies in 83 a lot of oh. well well seen movies lords yeah. of, lords of discipline is what i remember him from, from yes absolutely shoot. Y'all haven't seen Lords of Discipline. I'm not sure what the status is on that thing as far as streaming or rentals or anything like that, but holy fuck that movie, dude. And dude, then I, later in the years, yep. uh, Flashdance. Yeah, heaven help us though, man. That's hard. It's hard not to, again, if you grew up, if you were in an 80s VHS video store. Yeah, man. There's no way you don't know what heaven help us is. No, because it, it had one of those hard boxes that if you were fucking around at work and you threw it at somebody, you could fucking split their forehead open. Damn HBO video boxes. <laughs> yeah, man. And this thing was on HBO nonstop. Like when it, when it, when it hit the home video, it was on, there's, you couldn't not, you couldn't escape it being on, uh, you know, and it's back it, and it kind of made you think that Andrew McCarthy was like a nice cat. And then, you know, and then you saw St. Almost Fire and you realized he's not really. 
He had eyes for Judd Nelson's woman. Yeah. And I have to say that Malcolm Tanner, you know what else he did? When they remember they did that animated Godzilla spinoff that was related to the 98 movie. Yeah. He, he redid his voice of Dr. Craven on that too for all 40 oh. episodes. How fucking cool is that, dude? That is wild, dude. He's also in Independence Day, right? In Robin Hood Men in Tights. He's in a ton of stuff, dude. Yeah. He's in Popcorn. That dude, yeah. Yeah. He plays Bud and Popcorn. Yeah. Everybody in this movie is recognizable. And what's funny is what I love too, and, and you got you go ahead and throw this one out there too. A year after this, you're gonna see, you're gonna sit down and watch Ghostbusters at the very beginning of the movie. And you're gonna think to yourself, who is that guy? Why does that guy look so familiar when sitting down with Bill Murray doing a little, yep, a little uh, psycho testing, right? Right. He's the guy who's getting the shit shocked out of him, even though he's getting them right. Yep. <laughs> Why are you fucking, dude? I that is like that, dude. I, that set the tone for Ghostbusters for me. Like I knew I was, I knew I was gonna love the movie from that scene. Yeah. No, it's just not your day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember the cat's thing. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, it's it's not that easy to find some some of the people's names because they're not like it's, it's, it's Stephen Tash, right? Stephen he plays Tash, Rich, right? Yeah, yeah. Stephen Tash. Is he still around? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if he. I don't. I don't know if he's acting anymore. But yeah, he was. He was credited as male student in Ghostbusters, but he was in Beach Balls <laughs> and Island of Blood. All those, I think, all yeah, VHS looks, movies, right? Looks like he's, yeah, dude. I, yeah, he was in. I could walk through the aisles of the video store and probably pick up six movies that Stephen Tash was in. But yeah, dude, he's 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 another one of Buddy's guys in this, and he's also he's great in in Ghostbusters. Uh, the other the other person the other couple of people I like to throw out there. Uh, one of them, I think we already basically was Roberts Blossom. Uh, as LeBay, Roland, or George, or uh, or you know a combination of both of them because. There's only one. I guess John Carpenter was leaning into his Highlander. And then Christine Belford, dude, as Regina Cunningham, Arnie's mom. Dude, that scene where Arnie basically tells his mom to go fuck herself. <laughs> dude, it's so good because it's so real. So good. And, and then the reaction that they both have Her, just like, oh my God, dude. Like, <laughs> right? I love how they always get on Dennis's ass. I'm like, do something about your friend. I'm like, what the fuck's he doing? Right? Like, yeah. Dennis. Dennis is poor Dennis, fault. dude. Dennis gets the shit kicked out of him, dude. It's like, like literally know. and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I always and I always refer, refer to it to, as the pony boy scene when like, they can see him in a hospital for the first time. Right, and you think it's like Johnny Cade all burned up yeah. and looking like 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 a piece of fried chi- a piece of barbecued chicken that got too close to the fire. Yeah, I, the second time Arnie goes to see Dennis while he's laid out after his football injury, I love just the, the, it's the Dennis is starting to see the change in Arnie. And it's kind of like, because he had just talked about Muji, you know, biting it. Right. And he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's what happens to shit. <laughs> oh, that's what he, what he's getting on with uh, Detective Rudy with, with Harry Dean, right? He's giving that and he goes, well, he scraped him up with a shovel. I'm like, is that what you do with shit? Shoot, scrape it up with a shovel. Right. Dude, I must have said shitters like for an entire year after I read it in Christine. I called people shitters. Man, he's a shitter. It's one of those phrases that you don't hear in any other thing. It's Dude, just, I've never heard it anywhere other than in yeah. Christine. People recognize the ownership of it. It's very fitting for this because I never heard it before and I never heard it sure. after. Well, because it also kind of seems like a saying that even in 1978, when the movie set, 
it, it, it's something that comes from, you know, 20 years before, like nobody would say it even then. And that's kind of one of the tells in the book right. that he's possessed by LeBay because that's a LeBay thing. Right. And we even hear LeBay in this say shitters, but he doesn't, it's funny. The, the first time I ever heard him say it, when I saw it in the movie theater, I was like, he fucking said it wrong. Like, cause in my head, like I had read it in the book and I was like, Oh, he fucking, cause he kind of buries it. You don't really, but it's one of the tells, right. That he's possessed by a spirit or a ghost of somebody. Right. It's the pompadour. It's the fucking clothes. I mean, he's dressed like fucking Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. When, when Harry Dean shows up to, to talk to him at the garage, he's in full black now. He's like, yeah, pop the pop collar button, you know, one button too low on his shirt. <laughs> right. Showing off all that, uh, real estate, macho real estate there, if you will. Yeah. One of the things for me with, when it comes to Keith Gordon is, is that, I mean, this is our third movie we're covering with him. I think so. Yes, definitely. Cause he was in, uh, he was in this back to school and, and Jaws and Jaws too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how drastically different he is. He, oh yeah, dude. Right. This one, his, his performance in Christine and back to school, back to school early. Similar. Yeah. They're similar. And there's even moments where he does the same kind of thing. Um, there's something that, there's something that could be said about, about Alexander Paul and, and Terry Farrell. They're very, they're very similar in, looks there if you if you said hey we're looking for this a terry farrell type you're kind of like oh like i got alexander right here it, it, it fits they're very similar and not just because he's short and they're tall <laughs> it's not like that no totally but they have very similar looks in fact when we did back to school i always thought i i, I wasn't going oh it's it's terry it's the other one and i always used to get him right. mixed up well it's funny you'd say that because here's the thing I used to get Alexander Paul and Laurie Singer mixed up. That's fair. Until I had watched Christine, you know, you know, when we were, I told you we watched it a lot on Strangers. In my mind, there was a point where I was like, oh, it's fucking Laurie Singer. And then I was like, oh no, God, it's a, it's a, it's a Alexander Paul. And then, and then I was like, oh yeah, Alexander Paul, Laurie Singer, they were, you know, in, you know, in the, in the haziness as you get further away from 1984, 85, I would have sworn Laurie Singer was in American Flyers, but no, it's Alexander Paul. The only one, the one other movie other than Dragnet that I would never think that it wasn't Alexander Paul was in one of my favorite movies that nobody's seen is Eight Million Ways to Die because she plays Sonny, the hooker who gets Bridges pulled into the whole, you know, plot of, of what's happening. But I, so I could totally see there was a type, right? Like, and those three girls were that type. If you didn't have one and you could see how they, you know, they were fairly interchangeable back in the day. This was like I mentioned earlier, this is the seventh adaptation of a Stephen King novel or novella, depending on which property we're talking about. And I think this one, like you noted, because John Carpenter's name helped sell the movie. Because you not the other movies didn't do so hot, you know they didn't have a, a big draw. And I remember I remember Dead Zone not doing particularly well, but then when I finally saw it on at home, I'm like, this is good. This is really good, and it's not just walking. It's just it's not your atypical Stephen King story. It's it, as far as possessions or ghosts or anything. Because at that point, it's everything is very supernatural and not so. Well, it's also not the town with a secret, right? <laughs> either, exactly. which seems to you know be a trope for a lot of those uh, Stephen King novels, right? You know, everybody knows, but nobody knows, right? Right. 
the the car and again everybody knows the car it's a 58 Plymouth Fury I was reading a little article about it in the film it's identified as a 58 but when they're promoting the movie and the radio ads were saying it was 50, as 57 Fury what is it in the book is it a 58 or is it's it 58 58 Plymouth Fury mm-hmm. yeah and her name is Christine <laughs> there was 5303 Plymouth Furies made in 1958 that's crazy, because like, how many do they have in the movie? Oh, like, God, dude. Yeah, I mean, what was the number of it? I, we, I actually I asked Wayne one time, the special effects guy that we had on Strangers, and I want to say it was, I want to say they had 20, but I don't know that that's right. I don't want you to quote me. If, yeah, I feel like it's more than that. But there were some stand-ins, too. There wasn't like, they didn't... Right. Yeah, they weren't all using Rule 58 Plymouth Furies. There were stand-ins and some recreations as well. One of the recreations is part of <laughs> part of the re- regeneration scenes. Now that you have a little more insight in this than I do, so uh, I was surprised to learn again until just recently that how they did. It. I mean, I always knew that it was reverse, but I never knew how they pulled it off because it it's still fucking amazing. It still looks tremendous. If I haven't already said that in the episode earlier, if I did it. I said it a second time just now, fine, doesn't matter. It's the point of the movie where you realize Arnie and Christine, they have perfect symbiosis now where he's just kind of like, all right, girl, show me. Right. It is the moment where they're fully connected and, right. and Christine's not afraid to show her true self in front of him. Right. Well, it's funny because it, like the whole LeBay thing, right? And like in the book, Dennis goes to meet his brother and and then what we find out I don't think they'd explain it in the book before that, but like Roland LeBay's daughter, she died in the back of the car, right? She choked on a hamburger in the back seat and, uh, and, and his wife committed suicide in the car. So it had all that bad juju as well. And, you know, and he was kind of a violent, uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, Roland LeBay wasn't a nice guy to start with. So, right. you know, there's a, there's a lot of bad juju going with that car. So dude, but that, that, that scene you're talking about, it, it, I mean, it, it looks as good today as it did then, right. you know, I mean, actually again, it, there's, there's no CGI. It's not like, uh, it's no. not computer generated. There's no enhancement. No. It's, they just, you know, they really thought about what they were doing back then because you had to. And how do we make this? Did you listen to the, did you listen to the, any of the audio commentary on that? No, thing? no, I didn't have a chance to get to it, but it's like, it, there's two really good ones on there. I watched the, I, uh, I watched the 28 minute featurette on that comes with the disc, which was really good. Um, I would say by Carpenter's age, it was probably like 15 years ago, maybe, but that's really good. I didn't listen to the commentary. I figure a lot of this stuff is probably laid out there pretty well, but the regeneration scene the whole car, and that's what's so crazy about it. You think the whole car is regenerating. It doesn't. Right. But that they were smart and that the stuff that they were showing, other than the obvious, putting the mirror back together again, great sound design too, by the way. I always loved that. Oh. The, just selling the reverse sound effect. It was right. fucking cool. Yeah. Even the, yeah, the, just the, the unbending of things and things popping back into like, you know, the shapes. It, it's all super cool. What is the song, man? I'm drawing a blank, but the song that is playing at the end when, um, when, when, when Christine finally meets her demise, you know, when uh, Dennis finally, cro- what is the song that is playing? You mean at, at the junkyard at the very, while it's still in the garage? At the very end, like when he, when he crushes it with the fucking, you know, with, and it's finally, it's over. Him and Lee walk away. But talk about 
great needle drops, right? Dude. Well, they're so intricately woven into the story. Yes, exactly. As he should be. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Rock and roll. Whatever. Yes. It really sort of reminded me of American Graffiti. <laughs> right. But dude, it's such a great, it, the whole rock and roll will never, it's, it's again, it's a perfect needle drop, you know? And that's another thing about this movie. The, the score is fantastic. dude. I yeah. love this score. This might be my favorite Carpenter score. I was going to say the same thing. And I, it's, it's, there was a moment in there when I was watching it again and I thought, this is my favorite Carpenter movie. And then I'm like, no, uh, no, this is just my favorite Carpenter score in a movie. That's what it is for me. Yeah. Again, it's hard, like, right, like, here's the thing. Somebody asked you your favorite John Carpenter movie. There's so many to go to. I know. There's the obvious ones. And then there's, I I don't think about Christine, but when I watch Christine, it's my favorite. So here's my thing. Mm -hmm. My favorite Carpenter movie is the one I'm watching. Exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. It's like, there's no sliding scale here. It's like, what am I watching in the moment? Correct. Whatever one I'm watching is my favorite one at that moment. Oh, with one exception. And you know what it is. Oh, please don't say Memoirs of an Invisible Man. No way, dude. That's fucking rad. Bob okay, I love, I love that movie. I was going to say, for me, it's the uh, it's the last one. <laughs> what was the last one? Oh, it's The Ward. That's what it's called. The Ward. No, 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 what, what I was going with was Escape from L.A., but that's okay. <laughs> I would take Escape from L.A. over The Ward. The Ward is just not, it's not interesting. There's just, you know, it's no bueno. Well, what it, I've never seen it, so I explain a lot as to why he says, yeah, I'm done making movies. Fuck that shit. <laughs> I'm just going to go back and smoke weed and you know do whatever I do. Across the board, like I said, all the performances are great. And I'm so, yes, it's 40 years of watching these people. But the idea that Brooke Shields was being considered to play Lee. And- okay. There you go. That's the type, right? She is she is the one. And then all the other girls, they were like, oh, you know, we need a Brooke Shields type. I guess that's who you would say, right, at the time. Like, because it was all coming right off of Blue Lagoon. <laughs> yeah. And and her jean commercials. Yeah. And then Scott Baio as Arnie. <laughs> Get out of here. Now, that didn't age well, all things considered. No. But <laughs> didn't, didn't is, well, I call that zapped, is what I call it. <laughs> the only reason I would think that even Scott Baio is being considered, yes, he was a big draw. He's on the cover of all the magazines, whatever. But it, it, if he's not on Happy Days, if his, if his success is no. coming from another show, it, he's not being considered for Arnie. And no. And what's weird to me is he, if I was, look, if, if, if you told me, I thought you were going to say considered as Dennis. Cause I could see, I could, if I could see him, God forbid, and some other like, you know, I don't want, I, I don't ever like to think about, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like who, you know, what is the movie like with, you know, Scott Baio as Dennis? Right. Yeah. But not as Arnie. That's weird. Like yeah. I, I was sure you were going to say Dennis. No. And then Kevin Bacon basically auditioned for, it, but then he opted out when it was offered to him to go do Footloose. Uh, but look, man, like there's not a bad performance. Like even no. the, even the people you don't just guys who have one scene, like the guy who plays, even the guy who plays Vandenberg, right? Like, you know, Stuart Charno, yeah. who's in, a, who's also in a ton of stuff. He was in just one of the guys, him and, uh, Ari Gross are the two guys with the lizards, the two nerds. Right. And he's in Friday the 13th part two. I mean, he's in a bunch of those movies. You see him all over the place in the early eighties. Yeah. There's something else I wanted to kind of add to it. And I started to do this earlier when we were talking about buddy and his little side bitches, all of those guys that were his sidekicks 
they're all nerds and every other thing that 100%, they do. percent, dude. They are Arnie. They probably all read for Arnie. They all probably did. And Carpenter. And that's and probably Carpenter's, Carpenter's like, like, you know what? Yeah. We're going to put you right. I bet you that's what happened. It had I, well, That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because look, they filmed us in LA, you know, shit, a bunch of stuff right down the street from where I'm talking right now. Yeah, they, they're all LA kids. So it makes a lot of sense. They just said, fuck it. Let's, you're already here. Just shoot over here and we'll do this thing. Yeah. And, and it's kind of ironically funny that like all the other nerds, right? Like, like Buddy Ravel. And, and so that makes Buddy Ripperton <laughs> the king of the nerds. He is king of the nerds. Right? But yeah, everybody, dude, seriously, everybody in that, that's one of his little sidekicks are nerds and everything else. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Mystery solved. I feel, like, I feel like we just wrapped up a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> if it wasn't for those damn kids. Uh, Buddy, Re- Buddy Repperton. I keep calling him Buddy Ravel because he, there's a similarity between him and Buddy Ravel. I, and, uh, right? There was, okay, there was something about that window of time, too, where that was the teenage version of a Rocky movie. Like, all right, well, like he's getting his ass kicked. Or like, how is he going to overcome that? He has to... He has to I think about the, my bodyguard is you eventually have to just let him be his guy. You know, like my, my, my bodyguard was one of them. Three o'clock high was another one. Yeah. It's just like the grouping of people where they did that kind of movie several times, but they're all very different, what, but it was always that. What's funny is I, I think I had said this before we got a mic. And if I didn't, you can tell me, but uh, the way that buddy is dressed, he's kind of dressed exactly like Patrick Swayze and the outsiders when they go to fight the socias. <laughs> he's got the tight black t-shirt on and, and the jeans and he's, he's muscled up. Like, cause I always thought Swayze, Yeah, but in the movie it worked because Swayze was supposed to be the older brother who basically had to drop out and, you know, and go to work. But I mean, like, again, Swayze looked like a man and the outsiders were everyone else still looked young, like boys, like even Cruz, Matt Dillon, you know, they were all, they were kids, right? I think they were all under 20 and I feel like Swayze was close to 30. <laughs> the outsiders. Yeah, probably was. It's <laughs> about yeah. right. Yeah. I think the reason too, that if there's, you feel that way and meets my take of why you feel like you make that outsiders connection. If you know, the movie takes place in 78, there was like, we talked about the, there's a fifties nostalgia there. Not just, I, I had asked you one, why does this movie take place in 78 when the movie didn't come out until 83? You could, like you said, simple numbers. You can just go, all right, well, the car was built in 58 and 20, it's 20 years. That makes a lot of sense. In the confines of the movie it makes sense, but in the book, what was it? The book didn't come out until 83 also. How much is that 50 nostalgia that we see visually in Carpenter's movie is in the book? Uh, well, you know, in the book, they make reference to, I feel like because I think King started writing in 78 and I would say around 78 was probably fifties was very big at the oh, time, yeah. right? Laverne and Shirley, happy days. Those, those were all, you know, it was a revival cause it was 20 years. And I think that they make, there's a reference in the book, cars, 20 years old, blah, 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 blah. Cause it was a 58 Plymouth Fury. And and there, there are touches like his parents, you know, they were from the 50, you know, there, there is an aesthetic in the book when you read it that seems very seventies. And when they talk about the fifties, it's, you know, it's very nostalgic. It is kind of 50 centric. There's way more of it in the book than there is in the movie. In the movie, I just always figured that because muscle cars were, you know, cool. <laughs> I, it's funny because when I watched Dennis, his car and everything, I, I couldn't help but think of dazed and confused. <laughs> right. 
there's right. Like when they come, when he comes driving into the parking lot and the first time you see him, it seems very much like days and confused. Yep. So there, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I know we were talking about like, uh, cause 83 would have been like what 20, a 25th anniversary of the car and everything. Right. I think it was just, I feel like it, King started writing it in 78 and it just translated that way. And I feel like Carpenter is also maybe got a little, you know, cause Carpenter's a, you know, a film guy. Right. right. And, uh, also I feel like it kind of ties into maybe what he did with Halloween ties into that same sort of world. So I don't know, man, the book, it's not like the book doesn't make a case for it being 78, but it does make a little, you know, there, it does lean into that fifties stuff a little bit more than the movie does for right, sure. Cause it wouldn't make any sense in 83 and, and as far no. as nostalgia, it's like even happy days was on its way out. And the, yes, the tide had turned. And I feel like if it had come out maybe like in 80 or 81, you could have leaned into that a little bit more because don't we always say that like the first couple years of the, the decade you go into is still kind of the seventies, right? Like the seventies didn't really start to like 72. So it goes like 72 to 82. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a conversation I always have with people when they're like talking about like, well, it should look so, you know, because the thing is, is also, I feel like 83, I want to say everything pre MTV, right? And maybe that's what it was. Maybe Carpenter just wasn't digging what, you know, but if you look at a lot of early music videos, they're kind of 50 centric too. So who knows, man? Okay. So two more things about the car. One is in the context of the movie and one is after the fact. 23 cars were used in the movie. 20. So yeah, I remember Wayne said 20 something. So that would make sense. 23. Perfect. We sold as scrap metal after filming ended. One of the best one, best known surviving vehicles was eventually rescued from the junkyard and restored. It was subsequently bought by collector Bill Gibson. Crazy, right? That is totally crazy, man. It's so it, it it's totally crazy to me that so Roy Arbogast, who was a special effects supervisor, I think I mentioned this off mic. His uh, assistant, one of his assistants, I think, it, it Wayne Beecham, he because we watched the shit out of this movie, obviously for Strangers Pray at Night, because there's a giant homage to Christine <laughs> yeah. in the movie. Anybody who's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about. But we hired Wayne, and Wayne had actually worked with Roy on Christine. I think it was his first or second job. Mm. So we used a lot. Of, like, there's a lot. Of, you know, Wayne brought all of the techniques. We did all these fire tests and we did it on moving trucks because we wanted to do it all practical. But when you reach a certain speed, you know, it's really hard to keep the flame, you know, from the wind from putting it out or, or just from minimizing it because the car is moving. So the air is moving, it's pushing the flame flat. Right. So Wayne came with his whole bag of Christine tricks. And, you know, so we were able to accomplish a lot of that because the truck is moving in the movie and it's not moving at five miles. There's no, we didn't speed up the frame rate, any of that stuff. So it's all working in real time. And that's because Wayne had done this with Roy, uh, on the ultimate burning car movie. <laughs> right. That might be my favorite sequence in the cars after it smashes into the gas station and it's chasing buddy down Lions Avenue in the dark. Right. It, the way it hits him, runs over, and then just keeps on going. <laughs> and then there's just a burning corpse in the road. I mean, that's pretty hardcore, man, for yeah. the time. It's not until the showdown at Darnell's garage at the end. For me, anyway, I don't know how other people take it. You never really know, is Arnie in that behind that wheel when everybody's killed? Oh, right. When Christine rolls back in, they're all burned and smoking, and fucking old man Darnell's looking at it. Yeah. 
and he opens the door, yeah. there's nobody there. Because at that point, you're like going, is is Christine just doing this or is Arnie there? Right. And it, But you never know until the final showdown on Darnell's that you actually see him inside when Dennis starts crushing the car. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, we've already seen Arnie fully engulfed and yeah, he's gone, man. Arnie's gone. We see the same Arnie we see when Dennis when when Dennis sees LeBay. When he sees looks over, even though we see Arnie, he sees LeBay. Otherwise, Dennis is the worst fucking friend in the world, and he <laughs> killed his buddy Arnie for his girl. Let's be honest here, man. Uh, <laughs> Dennis, Dennis, he doesn't matter if he's Dennis in this or Dennis in. <laughs> yeah, in my totally. Story. He's pretty consistent with the. the <laughs> he's pretty consistent on stealing your lady. <laughs> Because uh, that's what he would do. Yeah. Uh, you wait, wait, wait till you listen to the uh, commentary with yeah. Keith Gordon and uh, Carpenter. Yeah. Suckwell's not very well liked. They mention him once, and then they agree to never talk about him again. The rest of the commentary. They actually, they actually verbalize not we're not to yep. mention his name again. Oh, that's fucking yeah, yeah. rad. When you listen, you're going to be like, "Holy shit, dude!" <laughs> or the one where Carpenter and Kurt Russell talk about how they, you know, they don't want to talk about uh, Wilford Brimley, and that's why they locked Blair in the shed. <laughs> That's fucking great. Oh, man, that's so awesome. Yeah, uh, so. Anyway, so this, I, I know we talked more about the production side of things because we've all seen the movie before. Everybody's seen the movie. Yeah, absolutely. The King's Cast podcast does an incredible job of covering right. all these movies and the novels and everything. So we're not, this is one of those rare times that we are dipping in our toes into a pool that's really well. Right. There's people that are much smarter than us and much well, much more well-versed in Christine. We're just like fans of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like to me, this was the easiest watch we have fucking probably done of any movie. Yeah. Like I was so, I'm so familiar with the movie. I've seen it so many times. Yeah. That I could, I, I could literally just relax and enjoy it and not have to make a ton of notes um, and same and try to get myself, you know, like, okay, 630, I'm, I, do I need to take a nap before we do this? You know, I didn't have any of that stuff. I was just like, fuck, I was ready to talk about Christine and, and not try to rewrite history or like be the smartest guy in the room about Christine no. uh, and just talk about it as a movie fan. Cause I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. And like I said, that's for going forward. When somebody asks me my favorite Carpenter movie, I'm just going to say, it's the one I'm watching. It's the one I'm watching. Yeah. yeah. Damn. There you go. We got one more left for yeah, you man. for a spectacular. Ooh, and it's going to be, we're going to mix it up a little bit, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. That's the plan anyway. That's the plan. <laughs> but, you know, well, well, hopefully it all sticks because, uh, I mean, the movie's still going to happen. Yes. It's just a matter of. Yeah. Well, don't, yeah. Let's not, let's not go too much further. So there you go. If you want to follow us on the socials, it's at Karate Pod on Twitter slash X, <laughs> Letterboxd, Instagram, and also it's patreon.com slash Karate Pod. You can also follow Corey on Insta uh, at Culper97 and on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Cult. Fuck that. See, this is why I need to record new bits and just slap it in there. And it's never, I don't have to. You don't have to say it every time. It's fucking exhausting. It's fine. It's fun to kickstart because you can just ad lib your bullshit sure. at the end, but not a movie episode. No. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Arnie Dennis Lee at uh, letterbox.com. <laughs> That's Arnie Dennis Lee at letterbox.com. Sounds like a fucking serial killer, dude. <laughs> Arnie Dennis Lee. <laughs> uh, didn't he shoot one of the president? Didn't he shoot one of the Kennedys? <laughs> Arnie Dennis Lee. <laughs> oh, shit.